This is the Crypto Valley Podcast. What is up, everyone? This is RK, your host. I'm back. I hope you had a fantastic week and you could uh, relax a little bit this weekend. Uh, It's Saturday morning, June 13th, 2020. Let me start by saying that on this podcast, we explore the history of money from its very inception all the way to its current state and most importantly, its future. We also discuss how the current financial system illusions investors and consumers and how you can exit and obtain your financial interdependence. So if you are someone who has average to no experience in finance and would like to take control of your financial future instead of trusting a banker or advisor, then this podcast is for you. And don't forget, your banker doesn't explain you to understand investing for a reason. Okay, so today we are going to have two parts and I will try to get both parts in one episode, but if not, we're gonna take part two to the next episode. I always try to keep the episodes as short as possible. Usually my target is 20 to maximum 25 minutes, but if it takes a little bit longer, then we might move the second part to the next episode. So part one is going to be the continuation of the storyline we started in the previous episodes, which uh, will be the move of paper money to electronic or plastic money and how paper money or cash makes now Uh, only 10% of the money that is actually in circulation. We're going to talk a little bit about that, how the electronic banking network works and how payments have evolved to a totally banking network dependent system. So these are the first subjects of part one. And in, excuse me, in part one, we also I mean, if we have spare time, we're also going to talk about the so-called nanobanks or nanobanks, those very innovative banks that are trying to uh, disrupt banking. And we're going to talk about them a little bit. And if we have some spare time, we're going to talk about the underbanked population in the world. So let's just start by talking about the move of paper money to electronic or plastic money. In previous episodes, if you remember, we talked about the history of money, how it evolved from barter all the way to precious metals, then to paper money and how the gold standard was eliminated and how fiat money came into existence as we know it today all around the world. And by the way, I use the US Federal Reserve always as an example, but This, of course, accounts for every central bank in the world. Today, there is no currency in the world that is backed by gold that doesn't exist anymore. But yeah, so the move of paper money to electronic or plastic money. Basically, 
what we have experienced throughout the years is that through technology of the internet and the interconnectedness and globalization of the economy, we have made our transactions almost completely electronic and all the payments, all the purchases we make, uh, at least here in the Western world is done by using debit cards, credit cards, and uh, electronic transactions. And because this has happened so far, also the supply production of new money that comes into circulation is also done 90% electronically. So the cash that we actually... uh, know from early days how money was coming into circulation just makes 10% of the entire money in circulation today. So 90% of all the money in the circulation it is not even on paper. It's just on the monitors of banks and uh, central banks. So This, of course, again, takes away something that we used to have when we started using money, which was our privacy. So I used to be able to have some piece of metal that I owned and I was having authorization to spend it and I had complete privacy to my own money. Right now, however, and I I still have that if I use cash, right? So if I have a piece of paper that is accepted as a a medium of exchange to purchase something, this can be done completely private. I can spend it and uh, it's not necessarily visible to my bank that can monitor my spending habits and sell this information to advertisers like Facebook, Google, etc, uh, etc. Et so this privacy, that this luxury of privacy is becoming less and less available and this of course enslaves the the anonymity that we are that we people used to have and uh, of course it profits all these large companies because they can then sell us i mean have you i mean there is i hear stories where people spend money with their credit card on something they buy something in an electronic shop and one day later they go and scroll on their Instagram and they see an advertisement exactly on a competitive product that they purchased the day before. Why is that? Yeah, obviously it's because your bank has apparently sold the data or your spending Uh, behavior to other companies and hence you are being advertised uh, some similar products this this is this is the world that is coming 
more and more uh, vividly to existence, which is quite scary, to be honest. I mean, we see it especially in China, where privacy is completely taken away from people and people are completely enslaved to this, uh, I mean, this monitoring of the uh, government and of the central banks that uh, is quite... Yeah, it's quite concerning in my opinion. Some people are not concerned at all. Some nations don't even care. They they say, yeah, you have my data, whatever. I don't care. So this is something that varies from country to country. However, this is something that money has done. It has taken away our privacy. And what we also need to understand how actually the banking network works. This is quite important as we move on to more uh, quote-unquote complicated subjects. You need to understand that the banking network works just like, I mean, very similar to how the internet works. So if you pay somebody, let's say, who doesn't live in your country, the way it works is that the banks are connected to each other on multiple channels. Let me give you one example. One network that connects the banks with each other is the SWIFT network. So the SWIFT network is basically a database where banks are connected to each other, where they communicate with each other and send each other transactions. And because we have a completely centralized system and uh, we basically depend on the banks, if I want to send money to another country, my bank has to communicate to three other banks in order to send the money to your bank in order for you to receive the money. Let me give you an example. Let's say I am right now in Switzerland and I would like to send money to the US. Now, my currency is not the US dollar. My currency is the Swiss franc. If I now send, let's say, uh, 50 US dollars or if I want to say send 50 US dollars to your account and you live in the US, I go to my bank and I tell my bank, okay, I would like to send this person 50 US dollars. My bank deducts the equivalent of $50 in Swiss, in Swiss francs from my account and it must necessarily have a US dollar account in the US in order to send the money from its US dollar account, let's say my bank has an account with Bank of America, but your account is not with Bank of America, your account is with Chase Bank. So they have to basically convert the money from Swiss francs into US dollars and they have to send the money from their bank account in Bank of America to Chase. So this has to go through two banks in order to 
be received at your end. So it is highly dependent on multiple channels, which makes it super slow and super centralized and dependent on the network, right? And you have, of course, the central bank that is also connected to all these banks. And every country has one central bank with one currency as their language of, uh, I love to call currencies languages because that's what they are. They are languages of value, all right? So you have the Eurozone, you have in the Eurozone, for example, the ECB. ECB stands for European Central Bank. And this European Central Bank is connected to all these other banks. And then you have in the US, for example, the US Federal Reserve Central Bank, which is connected uh, again to all these other uh, commercial banks in the United States. Now, if I want to send from the Eurozone money to the US, of course, my bank is communicating in euros and your bank is communicating in dollars. So it is necessary for my bank to have, this is called correspondent account. It needs to have a correspondent account in the United States in order to be able to execute the transaction. Otherwise they cannot do it because they speak euros. Your bank speaks dollars. They need to have a dollar account in the US in order to move my money to your account. So this is very, very, very briefly how the banking network works. And you need to understand this because later on you will know the disadvantages of such a system and how inefficient it is. Um, so this is the explanation of how the system works. And of course, you need to be eligible for opening a bank account. And you are also subject to certain conditions that the bank would accept subject to its internal as well as its jurisdictional policies, which means that the bank needs to obviously like you in order to provide you the right to open your own account with the bank and in order to use your own money, quite ironic, I mean, it's crazy, in order to uh, use your own money, uh, plus they charge you now interest if you deposit more than a certain amount because of negative interest rates. It's crazy. So this is the unfortunate thing that we have and in our western world we actually don't experience such a difficulty with this problem because i mean if i talk to a person in uh, i used to live in dubai and uh, not even we don't have to go that far we actually have cases here as well there is so many people that are not eligible to open a bank account because of their nationality, because of their residency, because of even their look. Imagine, you are being judged by your look, maybe not here in these countries, we are living here in the Western world, but in so many other 
countries in the Middle East, if you are not looking nice, the banker might not like you and might not, might not want to open an account for you to give you access to your own money. Crazy. And uh, a lot of people I talk with here in Europe say, what do I need, uh, for example, cryptocurrencies for? For what? I can go and open an account and it's so easy to move money. I mean, there is no necessity for such a thing. I mean, how cryptocurrencies work, we haven't covered that yet. It will be in the future episodes, but I want to explain you first why we need to understand that it's not about only us. The world is much bigger than Europe and the US and the Western side. The world population mainly is in China, is in India, in all these countries that are uh, much more in need of the banking facilities that we take for granted. South America, very good example as well. People are starving because the banking system is so corrupt and so abusing. So then we have these so-called nanobanks, okay? That's the next topic I wanted to talk about. These nanobanks that are trying to disrupt banking. I mean, I love them. I even use them myself. Just to name a few, N26 is one of them. Uh, TransferWise is one of them. Uh, Revolut Bank is one of them. I, I want to explain you why they are actually not as different as they look like, okay? I always love to use metaphors to explain things. So for me, these banks are the Blu-rays. I don't know if you know what Blu-rays are, but uh, if you remember, we had DVDs that we used for movies and all of a sudden there was this Blu-ray CDs coming out and they were like the new thing and you could all of a sudden have super high definition movies on the CD and it had much more capacity than the DVDs but all of a sudden after a very short period of time it was completely disrupted by online streaming technology and in my opinion, that's exactly what crypto is doing slowly but gradually with the Blu-rays, quote unquote, Blu-rays, which are for me the nanobanks, uh, as the nanobanks are trying to disrupt the banking, the, the banking system, the DVDs. Okay, so this crypto currencies that are evolving are going to completely make these banks unnecessary but we get into that okay we don't i don't want to get over myself but um remember all these quote unquote nano banks are or innovative banks are still subject to normal working hours because, as I explained, the banking network is depending on other banks. So even if you have a very innovative bank, that innovative bank 
needs to, if it wants to send money for you, have an account somewhere else to execute your transaction. So it still is subject to the normal working hours of other banks because it's still in the SEPA network or SWIFT network or whatever network. And also to the KYC, uh, KYC, sorry, what is KYC? First of all, let me define what KYC. KYC stands for knowing your customer. That's the term that banks use uh, for the so-called due diligence that they have to do on their clients. So questions like, where did you get your money? What's your background? All these questions they ask you in order to, uh, they call it fighting money laundering and uh, terrorism, etc. So that's the law that exists that bankers need to do it. And these banks, these innovative banks are still subject to all these questions. So if the regulation says that you need to be a resident of this country or you need to have a citizenship uh, or you, for example, your background is from a high risk country, they cannot open an account for you. Or if they have suspicion uh, for whatever reason, one compliance officer or risk manager might have some suspicion that your money could be not necessarily is, but could be from the black market. And they could say, sorry, you cannot open an account here and you can try it somewhere else. You know, that's what they're subject to. Still, they are really trying not to be all these innovative banks. And at the beginning stage, they managed to uh, basically avoid these things. But after a while, the laws catch up and they have to report to the regulatory environment and there is just no way around it. And I really feel for them. They are trying to really make banking easy, but it's, 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 it's as I said, the Blu-rays to uh, disrupt the DVDs. And we have now this streaming technology to the Blu-rays, like the crypto economy or crypto economy to the nanobanks. So this is what they're subject to still. And the only innovation that they are actually bringing to the table is a user-friendly app and perhaps some better pricing conditions that they can offer uh, while still using the same inflating government fiat currency. I mean, there is absolutely no long-term advantage that they are bringing to the money that we are using. And this is something that you need to have in mind when using these banks. They are great banks. I love them. I use them on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm a big fan. Uh, heads up to, I mean, really transfer-wise, amazing app. I love them. I use them. Uh, by the way, I'm not affiliated with TransferWise. I just love to um, uh, give credit to companies that are doing an amazing job. And these guys are really doing an amazing job. But, you know, long-termly, they're not disrupting anything uh, that really matters and changes the fundamental course of how money works. And many people 
have this illusion that they are, but they are not. So let me see how long we are in. Okay, we're in for 24 minutes. I need to wrap this up. We, unfortunately, we cannot go to part two. We're going to cover part two. Actually, we did talk about the part two a little bit, but uh, we're going to talk more about part two, which is the underbanked population. And hopefully in the next episode, we're going to also talk more about the crypto section. What is crypto? What is Bitcoin? Why Bitcoin matters? And why you should, you should educate yourself on cryptocurrencies and on this technology. And uh, not only crypto, also other assets to protect yourself from this dangerous system that has evolved since the 70s and is going to eat up all the hard work and effort you have put into the market to earn uh, this fake currency that they are giving you, okay? Thank you very much, guys, for listening. That is it for me today. I wish you a beautiful weekend. Take care. See you next time. Ciao.